I like recommending books to people, you know, because I like reading. And, I, I, and so, like, for those who like reading and those who like studying and, and all that, I just want to re recommend, um, uh, especially if you like good commentaries, like this is a really, really good one. It's a commentary on the New Testament use of the Old Testament. This is really, really good because, uh, like, it helps you understand in some ways how the New Testament writers understood the scriptures that they had, the Old Testament. And it, and it helps you understand that they're, um, they're um, how can I put it, like their use of the Hebrew scriptures and all that. So uh, it's written by G.K. Bill and, and uh, D.A. Carson. G.K. Bill and D.A. Carson. And again, the name of this commentary is Commentary on the New Testament Use of the Old Testament. And uh, if you want to see what it looks like, this is what it looks like. <laughs> it's like Vanna White up here. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, again, this, this is really good. This is a re really, really good book. Uh, so we're continuing in, in, in our series uh, in Ephesians, and this is a really cool series. Um, and right now we're uh, in a new part of the series called Movement. Um, and it's very cool because in movement, you look at passages like this that we're going to be reading today uh, in Ephesians 4, uh, verse 17 to 32. Now, I'm not going to go through the whole thing. I'm definitely not going to go through the whole thing because we definitely would be here till about maybe 5 o'clock. So, no, maybe even past 5, but, but I'm not going to do that and stuff. So, like, like <laughs> um, um, so I'm not going to exegete every single part of this, you know, although I want to, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, you know what, this probably Anyway, so but what's really cool is that, like, um, you're in the part that says, uh, talks about walking and stuff, you know. Um, and this isn't the first time in this letter that Paul talks about walking. Uh, uh, in Ephesians 2, he says, don't walk like the Gentiles. You know, you, you used to walk this way, you used to follow this course, you used to walk this way, you know. Um, and then uh, here in this part, he says, now, this is what I say, walk, don't walk like this, you know. Um, and then uh, in chapter 5, verse 1, uh, he says, actually verse 2, he says, and walk in love, you know, so uh, it's the whole idea of walking. Um, and then later in uh, chapter 5, verse 8, he says, walk as children of light, you know, so this whole idea of movement is right in this part, right in this part of Ephesians. Walk like this, you're actually moving towards something, you know, and we actually are moving towards something. We're moving towards perfection in him. He actually has a plan for us, you know. Uh, the Father has planned it, and exactly that's what he says in Ephesians chapter 1. The Father has called us to this, and we're moving to that, you know. Uh, so that, that, that's, that's, that's where we are. Uh, so, um, uh, so when I think about walking, right, I, I, you, you all, some of you are definitely old enough to remember this. Uh, there's a song called uh, Walk This Way by Run DMC and Aerosmith, you know what I'm saying? You know, me and Ann were watching the video. She's like, what are you watching this for? <laughs> this is why, that's why I'm watching it. <laughs> Um, so, um, so, and so whenever I get in this passage, I think about that, you know what I'm saying? I think about, like, I cannot help but think about the song, and so, um, it, what was really cool about the video is that, like, you see Run DMC in these fresh new gear, these fresh new clothes, and even as a young kid, I always thought about the fact that, like, you know, look at these Adidas, like, they are, they're, they're like, clean, they're white, you know, uh, and they got these brand new clothes on and all that, you know, and so, it's interesting to see in Ephesians 4, verse 17 to 32, uh, that Paul goes on from saying that don't walk like this to taking off clothes and putting on new clothes, you know? So uh, these clothes actually are Christian virtues, which, a, which in a real way belong to the very nature of Christ Jesus himself. 
uh, these are the new clothes of Christian living in which the believers are to continually be renewed in, in and by the power of the Spirit. So in other words, this is what the Ephesians, this is what Ephesians 2.10 says, you know, that we are created uh, in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world, created to do good works. So this is exactly what Paul was alluding to in Ephesians 2 verse 10. And now he's explaining what this is going to look like uh, for, for us. So uh, we look here in uh, verse 17, if you have your Bible, um, uh, we look here and, and it says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them uh, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have uh, been given, over, have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So this is cool. So like in, 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 your, in your notes, uh, the first thing here says, no longer, no longer walk as the Gentiles. And that's exactly what he's saying here in verses 17 and 19. No longer walk as the Gentiles. Now, so Paul's more, this is, this is the exhortation from, this is a moral exhortation from Paul. And here, this is not just advice that the Ephesians or that we could just be like, okay, that's cool. That's cool advice. No, um, this is critical instruction. You know what I'm saying? This is instruction uh, for us to become the human beings and not just the human beings, but the community that uh, God intends the church to be. You know, this is what God intends the church to be right here. And so he says, like, don't walk like this. So, um, so this whole idea of not walking as a Gentile, this is very interesting. Uh, this word, uh, peripateo, peripateo uh, we get it from uh, this, this idea of peripatetic. Uh, and what it is is that, like, para, the first part of the word para means to walk around, you know, or, or, or around or like a circle. Um, and the second part of the word, to walk. So the idea is that, like, you're walking around, kind of walking back and forth, pacing back and forth. Now, in the, uh, in, in the Greco-Roman area, uh, uh, in, in, in the era of that time, the teachers would walk around and talking and teaching their disciples, teaching their students. So they would walk around and talk to, to them about what, what it is they would learn. So that, that, that's kind of the idea behind here, too. But also, Paul um, has this Hebrew, mind, Hebrew understanding of walk. So when you think of walk, walk uh, regulates one's life to conduct oneself uh, and to pass one's life. You know, so like the whole idea of walking is about life, like doing life, like doing your everyday life. And especially in their time, they didn't have cars, you know what I'm saying? They didn't have buses, trains and stuff. They walked everywhere, you know, or they had like little caravans and stuff, but they walked everywhere. So like the whole idea of walking is like this is what we do in our life. So this is what Paul is, is alluding to. And matter of fact, in um, the, the NIV, it does it for you. Uh, it says, no, don't live this way. So like that, that's the whole idea of walking. Don't live this way. And matter of fact, I, like Paul has in mind passages like Psalm 1-1, where it says the blessed man, he, he, doesn't walk, he doesn't walk with the sinners. He doesn't stand there, and he doesn't sit with them. He, his delight is in the Lord, and he meditates on it day and night. So the whole idea of walking there is that, like, again, he doesn't live this kind of way. Paul's saying, don't walk like this. Don't live like this. Don't live in the futility of your mind. Now, if you go back to Ephesians 2 that we talked about, we talked about the whole idea of uh, being dead in sin and all that. And I'm not, not going to uh, rehash that, but the, whole, the futility of the mind and dark and, and darkened understanding in hand together. And what it points to, it points to um, the, uh, it's, it's idle, it's empty, you know, uh, and it's fruitless, it's useless, it's, power, it's powerless, lacking truth. Um, that, that, that's, that's, what, that's what it means. And what's really interesting is, like, if you read through the, um, you read through the prophets, so like Isaiah, Jeremiah, especially Isaiah and Jeremiah, they're known for making fun of uh, uh, idol worship. 
So, for example, Isaiah will say, you know, this guy cut down this, this tree uh, and made it into an idol, and then, he, and then he burned the wood, too, and stuff. You know, that, the, the idol is dumb. It, it's empty. And so the idea is that, like, look, that the worshipers of the idol are just like the idol. They have their empty-minded. So this is exactly what Paul is saying. Don't walk like the Gentiles because the Gentiles are empty-minded. You're not empty-minded. The Lord has, has filled your mind uh, with his word. You are to meditate on his word day and night. Um, and so that, that's, that, that's the whole idea about the fact that, like, they have walked in the futility of their mind. Um, uh, and because they walk this way, they are alienated from the life of God. Um, and so what's, what's very interesting here is that, like, the alienation looks like two, two things. And it's exactly here in the passage. The alienation looks like ignorance, you know, ignorance, and it looks like hardness of heart. Okay? Um, so the ignorance is the lack of understanding or aimlessness. They, 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 they have no aim. They're, 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 they're aimless in their thinking about God. Um, and the hardness of heart. Now, hardness of heart is very interesting. This, like, the scriptures are replete of using this kind of uh, phrase, phraseology, hardness of heart. Stiff-neckedness. They're stiff-necked. You know what I'm saying? They can't even turn. Like, the, like I don't even want to hear what the Lord is saying. Stiff-necked. So hardness of heart, st- which uh, shows stubborn and negative. It's a stu- stubborn and negative response to Jesus. It's also dullness to understand. Dull- dullness to understand and numbness to God. Like, actually, like, being apathetic. Eh, man, I don't really, you know, that, that, that's what this is. You know what I'm saying? And so Paul's like, don't walk like that. You know what I'm saying? Don't live like that. You know? Um, so because of this alienation, they have become greedy to practice impurity. That's exactly what, he, what, he, what he's going to here. He says, they have become callous and have given themselves up to impurity. Um, so they have been greedy to practice. And, and it says, like, they have been chasing after this. Don't be like this. That's what Paul is saying. Don't walk like this. Uh, this means that they have... Abandoned moral restraint, they're aimless, which leads to a life of despair, you know. Um, and they give themselves over to unrestrained debauchery. I'm just going to do what I do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it, you know. Um, this is the Gentile way of life. They have given themselves up over to this sort of twisted behavior. And honestly, I know that some of us can remember that uh, where we were, that, that this is how we lived at one point, you know. Um, the picture is of people so unhappy that they have delivered themselves up to destruction and destructive forces and destructive behavior. So this is, this is what Paul is saying, like, don't walk like this, y'all. You know, so the Ephesians are told not to live that kind of way. And Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is telling us the same thing to us today, right? He's saying, don't live in a way that is empty. Don't live in a way that is aimless and is twisted. You know, because this is leading to um, darkness, and this is disobedience. And if you continue reading in Ephesians 5, uh, Ephesians 5, chapter, uh, chapter 6, verses 6 to 8, he says that this is leading to the wrath of God. You know what I'm saying? Like, God is going to wipe this kind of behavior out, you know, and not just behavior. Those who do the behavior, he's going to wipe them out, you know. And so what he's saying is this is like, look, don't live like that. And so he gets to this point here. Uh, in, 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 in verse uh, 20 to 21. So in, in your notes, it says, uh, not that you learned Christ in this way. So not that you learned Christ in this way. Uh, we see in verse 20 uh, and 21, but that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you heard, that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Oh, this is so good, right? Because so it's like, the whole idea is that we're learning from the living Christ, 
you know, that we heard from the living Christ and believed. That's exactly what he says in uh, verse 13 in chapter 1, that when you heard the gospel, you believed. You know what I'm saying? Um, and then we're taught in the living Christ. And this kind of teaching is a continual teaching, a continual growing in him, a continual kind of thing. It's not that like, oh, I, 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 come, I came to Christ, I'm all good now, I'm doing what I want to do. No, this is a continual kind of thing and whatnot, you know. But what's really interesting here, that like, so if we look in verse 20, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Verse 20, so like, this is very hard to kind of, um, in English, it's hard to, uh, to really translate because the actual literal way to translate this is, but you, not so did you learn Christ, right? So like, so like Paul is like really hype right here, but you, not so did you learn Christ, right? So this is a strong contrast to the way of the Gentiles, and the strong contrast to the way of the Gentiles is that, like, you learned Christ this kind of way. You didn't learn him that kind of way, you know? Because Paul is very aware of the fact, because uh, Jeff pointed to it last week, where, like, there are this teaching out there that could toss you to and fro, even about Christ, not true teaching, not real doctrine, you know what I'm saying, not biblical truth. So, like, he's like, this is not the way you learn Christ, you know? So, um, this, this, like, this is very cool. So, think about this. What Paul is really getting at is the fact that, like, that Jesus is a real living person, right? He's a real living person. He has ascended on high, and he is at the right hand of the Father. See, Paul has already said that Christ, the second person of the Godhead, is seated with God the Father in the heavenly places. Find this in chapter in verse 20 of chapter 1. Uh, we who believe in Christ are in fellowship with him and have fellowship with him, um, and we are seated with him in the heavenly places. This points to our union with him. You know what I'm saying? So like, and, and again, he talks about this in chapter 2, verse 6, that like we have actual union with him. Um, and Christ lives in our hearts. This is in chapter 3, verse 17. When they, when they uh, so when the Ephesians and when, and when we heard, first heard this gospel, we also continue to believe this gospel mature in it. And that's exactly what Paul about earlier in Ephesians 4, that like we mature, we are to mature in this, in, uh, in this gospel. Um, and, and, and that's so cool. So they, they learned about Christ and his teachings, but they didn't just learn about Christ and his teachings. You know, they have developed a real relationship. They and we have developed a real relationship uh, with him and the living person. You know, so, uh, and, this, and this points to not only the way that they heard and learned it, but this also points to the way that the message was given to them. And so, like, if you get a chance to uh, go and look at Hebrews uh, 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verses 2 to 3, and the writer in Hebrews talks about this in a very cool, cool way. But I'm going to kind of paraphrase it. So, this points out to how the message came to us. That is, it was transmitted to faithful men who handed it down to us. Uh, this also points to the fact that when the gospel is preached, with the messages accurately heralded by his faithful shepherds, uh, Christ himself is not only being proclaimed, but it is as if he is actually speaking to us through the Spirit. You know, so like when we read his word, when we get into his word, when we hear sound teaching, it is actually if, as if the living Christ himself is speaking to us and, 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 and all that. Like that's, that, that's powerful. So like, like, so our great king and high priest is talking to us, you know, uh, through, through, through his word. Uh, so that's why we must listen. Also, so if we look here uh, uh, in, in um, verse 21, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Now, this is very interesting because, like, if, if, if you darken the doorsteps of, uh, of Paul's letters, right, you, you know that, like, Paul talks about Jesus in two ways. Either he addresses him as Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ. This is one of the, 
only times in any of his letters where he actually says Jesus, right? Just the name Jesus. You know, so again, this points to the fact that, like, this is pointed to the living historical person, Jesus. Um, one line of reasoning is that Paul places special emphasis here on the foundation of Christian teaching, particularly its ethics, right? It's ethics in the teaching and conduct of Jesus during his earthly ministry. So we're talking about the Gospels here. You know, like, 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 so when you read the Gospels, it's like you're actually encountering, you're actually coming and encounter with the real Jesus. It's actually like if you were there walking and being with him, uh, uh, pr- present with him, you know. Um, he also thinks and hopes that the teaching that they're receiving is consistent that the, the uh, apostolic fathers have handed down. So, like, like he, he, he wants to make sure to, like, look, like, the way you heard Christ is from the, from the Gospels and also from these gifted people, you know. Uh, uh, and, and, and so, like, like he, he really want, wants, wants them and us to understand that. Uh, so, think about John 15, for example. Like, Jesus says, you know, I am the true vine. My husband is the vine dresser, you know, and you all, we're the branches, you know. And so, like, we're actually in a real relationship, real fellowship with real Jesus, you know. So, like, we can do nothing apart from him. That's exactly what, what, what Paul's saying here, and that's exactly what Jesus said in John 15. Um, so think about right here. In the Gospels, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest. So, like, so Paul's like, you know, if you learn from him, and this is exactly what Jesus is saying, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Jesus says, learn from me, right? You know, and then in, uh, uh, so, so that, that, that's in Matthew 11, verse 30. Uh, and then he says, uh, in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know, like, that's really cool. So, like, you have Paul saying, like, look, like, did you hear the truth? Did you learn from the truth? So, not just hear about it, but you actually heard from the person himself, you know. And the person himself says, take my yoke upon you, you know. Uh, learn of me. And then he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Like, that's banging right there, you know. Uh, so Paul's also aware of the fact, again, like I said, that, like, that there was erroneous teachings going on even during his day. So, like, he wanted to make sure that they heard the message. That's why he's saying, assuming that you have heard about Jesus. So, um, but the idea is this. But what is the truth that we learn from Jesus and in Jesus? What's, what is the truth, you know? Uh, and so Paul talks about three things that, that Jesus has taught us in the Gospels. And it's very cool because it's right here. And really, if you want to look at it, Paul, uh, uh, Jesus alludes to it in uh, Matthew 11, like I just said, and also, also Matthew 16, where he says uh, that, like, um, if, if, you, if you take up your cross, you know, you have to deny yourself, you know. But if, if you want to lose your life, then you gain it in me and stuff, you know. So, like, like Jesus has already talked about this kind of stuff, you know. So the whole idea here is that this truth uh, is that we must put off the old self, die to ourselves. And put on the new self. You know what I'm saying? Life Christ. You know what I mean? That's, that's banging. Um, so, uh, so, and so three ways that he does it. He said, put off the old self, renew your mind, and put on a new self. So this idea of changing your clothes. And then your notes it says changing your clothes. And he goes there right in verse 22 uh, to 24. Uh, 22 to 24. He says, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So this was taught, that, like, like, so what Paul is saying is like, like, look, you heard this thing, you, you heard about, you heard Christ, and this is what Christ has already taught you, and this is what we have taught you. This is the Christian message here, to take off the old, put on, renew your mind, and put on the new. You know what I'm saying? That is the Christian message. 
know what I'm saying? You know, uh, so, it was like, me and my wife, we were house parents for a good while. And there's times, you know, where we would tell the kids they had wash days. Each kid had a wash day, you know. And after the wash day, like, that same thing yesterday, you know, it didn't wash that yet, you know. <laughs> you know, so, like, the idea that they were comfortable in wearing the old clothes, you know. And there's times, you know, I was a young buck. I was comfortable in wearing the dirty old clothes, you know what I'm saying. You know, uh, I could... <laughs> But, like, I would put on, like, same hard old socks and whatnot, you know what I'm saying? You know, they'd be rotting and stinky and stuff, you know. But, like, I got socks, they cool, they match, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, but it, it was comfortable and cool. Well, not cool for anybody sitting near me, but <laughs> um, it was comfortable and whatnot. And, and so, like, what Paul is saying here is, like, yo, take off the old clothes. Take off the old self, you know. And this whole idea of putting off and putting on is even during the day, during Paul's day. Like, people used to talk like this and whatnot. You know, like, take off this and put on that. And the whole idea was taking off your clothes and putting on new clothes. Um, and this, this, this is so cool. So, the old self actually is the old manner of life. And this is exactly what Paul says. He says, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. They are related. You know what I'm saying? Your old is the former manner of life. You know, and he already talked about that the futility and everything, and he already talked about that in Ephesians 2, you know. So um, uh, but what's, what's, really, what's really cool here is that, like, when, when, when you look at um, everything else that Paul says here, which belongs to your former manner of life, um, uh, he says that, and it is corrupt through deceitful desires. And this idea is a continual corruption, a continual corruption, you know, because of the deceitful craving desires. This is an ongoing process of being ruined, you know, and this phrase for corruption points not only to the rottenness of a, a person's moral character, but also stems from deceitful, harmful, and erroneous teaching. So, like, what's crazy is that, like, if you get the wrong teaching, the wrong doctrine, and all that, then you are prone to live a wrong life and whatnot. That's why it's important to have strong biblical doctrine, biblical teaching, so that you can live a proper life, you know, a life that is pleasing to the Lord and all that, you know. Um, and so Paul is saying that uh, they have already been taught to put this old way of living off. Uh, see, for me at times, and, 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 I, and I know that a lot of us have been here. See, for me at times, I get stuck in the past, you know what I'm saying? I get stuck in my old way of thinking, you know. Um, I, I, like, I get stuck in, in whatever it is. It, it doesn't matter if it's good or bad. I start thinking about, like, well, oh, snap. And then I'm just going through my day, and just things just pop up. You know, um, but Paul is saying, yo, like, take that off. You know, you don't have to be stuck um, in your old way of thinking. You can have a new way of thinking. And that's exactly what he says here. Renew your mind. So the, the, uh, the idea is that, like, continual corruption is in our old way of thinking. But in the new way of thinking is a continual renewal, right? That's exactly what he says, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. That's exactly what, what, what he's pointing to here. Um, uh, so... And what's very he cool here, brothers and sisters, is that a lot of times uh, when, I, when, when we deal with the past um, in the same kind of way, Paul is saying to us today by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that we must put this way of thinking away. So the, the idea, again, is like how do we do so? And again, Paul here says, renew your mind, you know. So Paul assumes that we have been taught, what we have been taught is that uh, we need to renew our thinking in other words, part of this learning, part of this hearing is that, uh, is that we continually renew our minds. 
the best way we learn is by repetition. You know, the best way we learn is by repetition. The way you learn something over and over again is by doing it over and over again. Like, like, and, and, and learning, and that's the way you learn. That's the way we learn. That's the way the Lord has wired a way of thinking, you know. Uh, think about this so far in this letter. I mean, Paul has repeated things over and over again in this letter. I mean, like, like so for example, in verses 17 and 19, he's already, already talked about that in Ephesians 2. He wants us to understand, this is your old manner of life. Don't live like that. Don't walk like that, you know. Uh, so Paul has already done this. Um, and again, uh, Psalm 1 says that the blessed man and woman, you know, meditate on, the, on his word day and night. This is a continual meditation day and night. The whole idea of meditation is like, you know, when a, when, when a, when a cow eats grass, he eats grass, and then it goes into his first stomach. He chews it, chews it, and then regurgitates it up, chews it again, then it goes back down, then he spits it back up, then he chews it. And just, so what he's doing is like he's getting the actual nutrition from the grass. This is, this, this is what that word meditate points to. It points to the fact that, like, when you read God's word, you are meditating on it. You're, you're thinking about it throughout your day. Oh, snap. What, what does this mean? What does that mean? You're pondering on his word all throughout the day and stuff. And this is helping you to renew your mind. Like, we have to continue to think like this, you know what I'm saying, and continue to be told this over and over again and, and, and all that. That is so important for the Christian life. You just don't learn it once and be like, ah, I'm good, you know what I'm saying, you know, and then when life throws a curveball at you, then, oh, snap, I'm not good. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, like, you need to be constantly told things over and over again. You need to uh, 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 darken the doorstep of the book of Job, uh, 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 um, the book of Psalms and all that. You know, you need to go to wisdom literature and see how you live life and, and all that. The word is so important. Uh, so, brothers and sisters, the renewing of the mind is an everyday, every moment of the day uh, and night process. It's a slow crawl. This is the sanctification process, the slow crawl. You know, we just don't run through this Christian life and expect to come out on top. Like, it's a slow crawl, and God takes us through slowly. Um, so, the two, so, so um, you have the, uh, the Spirit. The Spirit's work is inside of us, uh, and he's helping our way of thinking. He's helping our reasoning, and he's helping us with the way of life. So, the two processes, again, that I want to talk about, uh, again, that I'm talking about here is the continual corruption and then the continual renewal. And that, like, what happens here is that, like, Paul is showing that, like, look, the way you learn Christ is not to keep living that way. The way you learn Christ is to take off these clothes and put on the new clothes, you know. So, and this whole idea about the spirit, uh, spirit of your minds, which is really cool here, the spirit of your minds um, points to both the spirit's work and the, the, our, our work in the renewing of our minds. So it points to his work in us because he already talks about that in uh, Ephesians 3. A few weeks ago uh, at Life Group, and a few weeks ago, uh, uh, Jeff pointed to the fact that, like, you know, that the Spirit is at work in our inner being, you know, actually at work, changing us, strengthening us to do this walk and stuff, you know. He's, doing, he's, he's the one doing it and, and everything, you know. Uh, so he is renewing and healing the immaterial part of us. And by immaterial, what I mean is just like the part of you and me that we can't see. So we're talking about our souls, our minds, our wills and emotions. The Spirit is healing us and whatnot, you know. And uh, one, one of the great church fathers, uh, Gregory the Great, Gregory Nazianzus, he said that, like, that the son didn't assume what he didn't heal. So what he's talking about, this is crazy. What he's talking about is that, like, that the son put on an additional nature, and then putting on an additional nature, he heals our humanity, you know. So with that, when we come in Christ, he is healing that part of, of us, the, the immaterial part that we can't see and, and all that. that, that that's, that's so cool. Um, so... The whole idea here, again, is uh, so he tells us to put off the old, then put on the new self. And again, this is losing your life for his sake. 
this is part of what it means to lose your life for his sake. So this is really, I was thinking about this, you know, uh, Under Armour, I like, like layering up, you know what I'm saying? I don't like going outside, you know, cold. I don't like being cold at all. You know, I got my uh, house up to a thousand degrees right now. And stuff. You know, I don't like being cold at all, you know? <laughs> so I like wearing Under Armour. So like what's cool is that like these new clothes, right? This is the Under And I say Under Armour because in a few weeks, we're going to talk about the armor of God in Ephesians 6, you know? So this Under Armour is not our clothes. These aren't our clothes, right? Just like the armor of God isn't ours. The armor of God is God's. These new clothes aren't ours. These new clothes are God's. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so the clothes, the new self belongs to and is the very character and nature of God himself, right? So, for example, um, um, and you have it in your notes uh, there, uh, and, and you have it in your notes. Um, I'm breathing through it, sorry. <laughs> so in, in, in your notes, it says uh, changing clothes. And then you put off the old self and uh, put on the new. But, and I have all these other scriptures that, that, that you can check out on, on your own. And please check, it on, check them out on your own. But I just want to read this here um, in uh, Job 29, verse 14. Job says that I put on righteous, righteousness and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. Um, and then uh, the other passages in uh, Psalm, Psalm 91, Psalm 93, verse 1. I'm just going to read that one. I'm not going to read the other ones. Uh, the Lord reigns. Uh, he is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength and his, uh, and his belt. Um, I said I wasn't going to read it, but, but th- th- this, this one makes, makes sense of what I'm saying here. Uh, um, he says, you are clothed with splendor and majesty, clothing yourself with light as with a garment. So the idea is that the, like, these clothes that we are to put on are God's clothes, you know. Um, and, and that is so cool because, like, he wants us to grow in his character. And this is exactly what he says um, uh, in verse 24. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God. And what does it say? In, the righteous, in, in, in true righteousness and holiness. Or in, in, another, in other words, in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Right? So righteousness, this is God's character. Holiness, this is God's character. And he wants us to dress up this way. You know, but this, 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 this is very cool. I got to move because uh, um, uh, we are getting to a point that I really want to focus on for the rest of this um, time that we have here. Um, so the question is, the question that we have to answer then is, how do we put on our new clothes? Like, how do you put on these new clothes? You know, like, just like a kid, you got to teach a kid how to put on their clothes, right? You know, I used to love, well, I didn't love it. I just did it. Like, I used to put on um, my right shoe on my left foot. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you just walk around like, there's nothing wrong with it. It's cool. But, but, <laughs> but you got to learn how to put your clothes on. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> or people go and make fun of you and stuff, you know? Um, you got you to learn how to put your clothes on. So how do we do this? And how do we put on our new clothes? How do we live out this new life? You know, how do we live out this new reality which is crea- recreated in the image of God? So Paul describes how we are to change by giving indicatives and imperatives. These are admonishments, and these are exhortations that Paul gives, right? So I, wanna, I, I want us to understand what, what the indicative-imperative uh, relationship here is. So, uh, and, and this here is from verses 25 down to 30, and really actually from verses 25 down to uh, 32. It covers the whole, the, the, the rest of this passage here. Um, so the indicative refers to the saving work of God on our behalf, you know. So it refers to what God has done for us, you know. And then the imperatives, the imperative uh, assumes and logically follows the indicative and entails commands on how to live, you know. And I mean, 
if you go through the Bible, this is how the Bible talks, y'all. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you look in the Old Testament and the New Testament. This is how the Bible talks, you know. Um, so I have, have a few quotes here from, uh, from, a, from a man named Brandon Crow. Uh, again, if you're interested in, in, in this book, it's Brandon Crow, The Message of the General Epistles in the History of Redemption, and his wisdom from James, Peter, John, and Jude. Now, this, this is really cool because uh, he talks about this in his book. But again, this, this indicative and imperative relationship is all through the Bible. So, like, th therefore, it's here in Ephesians as well. So, um, he says, it is important to recognize the indicative and imperative theological structure because it helps us keep in proper perspective the relationship between the definitive accomplishment of salvation and the Bible's very real call to Christian obedience. You know, so um, it points to what God has accomplished all by himself and then our call to be obedient to him in light of what he's done for us. You know what I'm saying? So that's like, that's, that, that, that's, 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 that's Ephesians uh, 2, 8. 2, 8, and 9, that's Ephesians 2, 10, that's Ephesians 2, 11 to, to, uh, to, to 22. I mean, Paul's already been talking like that, you know. Um, uh, so then he goes on to say that the, uh, the primacy of the indicative keeps us from thinking that our works ever make us righteous. So our works never make us righteous, you know, before God. The necessity of the imperative means that we are not free to disregard the clear commands of Scripture, even though we are saved freely from grace alone. So, uh, Again, it's saying the same thing that, like, you are saved, you are justified, you know, but at the same time, you have to live out, a, you have to live this life out and stuff, you know, um, and he gives us ways to do it. Uh, so first, the order of the two cannot be switched. The indicative must precede the imperative. The indicative always comes before the imperative. Um, the foundation of our salvation and acceptance with God is always the work of Christ and never from anything that we do, you know. And the second um, important aspect of the indicative-imperative relationship is that the indicative and imperative can never be separated. In other words, the gospel entails legitimate cause to Christian, Christian obedience that are found on the work of Christ. So again, the work of Christ, nothing that we can do on our own to gain uh, righteousness, uh, uh, right standing with God. God does it all on his own. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, through to the glory of God alone, you know. But then he actually calls us, work out your own salvation. That's exactly what he says in Ephesians 2. You know, work out your own salvation. And then he goes on to say that, like, it is God, right? Oh, snap. It is God <laughs> who gives you the ability to both will and to do it. You know, so, like, he gives us the ability to do it. You know, and that, that, that's what this whole, whole, whole idea is, that, like, he, 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 he does this um, uh, in, in, in us and in all that. Um, so, uh that, 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 that's, very, that's very important, and, and, I, and, I, and I want us to understand that. So theologian and Christian MC Timothy Brindle says in one of his songs, Christians always ask, what's God's will for me? Well, it's found in his word, search with humility. The man of God is, is equipped. There's no complication. The scriptures are sufficient apart from confirmation, right? So what he's saying is this, is that like, you know, that like we're always asking the question, like, man, what's God's will for me? What is God's will? What is God's will? And he says, search the scriptures with all humility. You will find it, right? So many times we ask, what's God's will for our lives? We look everywhere instead of looking in the God-breathed, all-sufficient scriptures. You know, we think that he will tell us, uh, tell us his will outside of his word. Um, uh, uh, and we find out that uh, in Ephesians 5.17, this is exactly what he says. Like, yo, don't be foolish. <laughs> this is what he says. It's like, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Right. 
So, like, he actually wants us to understand what the will of the Lord is, and he tells us what the will of the Lord is. And we see it in these verses here, in verses uh, 25 to 30. Um, in order for us to become like him, we have to keep his commands. His commands are not burdensome. This is exactly what he says uh, in 1 John. As a matter of fact, 1 John was written to this church in, in Ephesus. So he's talking to these same people. He's like, yo, the burden, the commandments aren't burdensome, you know. Um, and, and, and he says, if, you, if we love him, we will keep them, you know. Um, and that's exactly what Jesus himself says in John 14. Like, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You will keep my word. And me and the Father, we will live inside of you. We will come and chill with you. We will be with you. We will make our home with you and stuff, you know. Um, and so that, that, that's exactly what he says. So what are they? So what are they? You know, and this is where the whole indicative imperative uh, uh, theological structure comes from. You know, that like that God has done something in Christ by forgiving our sins, you know, and then there is a real call to Christian obedience, to be obedient to what God has called us to do. So th th this, this, this is here. So the real question then is, um, how do you replace the old clothes? How do you change your clothes? You know, that's what it says in your notes. How do you change your clothes? You know, so Paul gives, um, gives some real biblical theology here. And by biblical theology, I mean this. Is it like you can find it in other places of, of, of the Bible? You know, real, 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 real theology to help us grow in our obedience and in our life. You know, and uh, these serve as the nuts and bolts to every moment of the day Christian living. These are the nuts and bolts to how we live this thing out. You know, um, the best... Uh, commentary on the Bible, and I, I love this quote, this, this is from Martin Luther, but a lot of people say it, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible itself, you know, and so the Bible helps us understand what God is telling us uh, and, and, and what he wants us to do, you know, so, um, so, and in these indicative imperatives, you always have this negative, uh, uh, um, this negative uh, response, this, this negative command, um, well, this thing that says don't do this, but then what Paul says in light of don't, don't, don't do this, there's a positive part that says, do this instead. And then this is the motive behind doing it. So, for example, we, we, uh, we, we can see it being played out here in verse, 30, in verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, right? Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So you have the negative part here says, so uh, put away falsehood. And again, it goes back to the whole putting off the clothes, taking off falsehood, take it off, right? This, 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 this is the command, take it off. But then this is the positive part of, of the command. Um, uh, speak the truth with one another. Speak the truth to your neighbor. So, this, so, so falsehood changes into honesty, right? And the Lord gave me a real, real chance to do this with, 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 my, uh, with my father in the faith, uh, Jeff, this week. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I had a real opportunity to be as brutally honest as possible. And there was healing and everything uh, uh, after that and, and all that. And I really... Because, like, part of our core, core, core values is that, is that we go deep, you know, and part of going deep is doing this. And then the motive here is that for we are members one of another. That's the motive. We are members. And so, again, it points to the fact that, like, you know, that the Spirit builds us, brings us together, unites us together, and then he's building us up together. We are members, Jew and Gentile together, all, all of us together, you know. Um, so, um, and what's really cool, if you get a chance to, and you have it in your notes, please look at Exodus 20, uh, and please look at Ze Zechariah 8, um, because, like, it points to the fact that, like, you know, that Paul isn't just making these things up. Oh, just get rid of falsehood, you know what I'm saying? You know, just, just get, but, like, this is coming from the Ten Commandments, you know? Like, don't lie, yo. Like, that, that's, what like that's, what, that's what the Lord says. Don't lie, you know what I'm saying? You know, uh, so this comes from that. 
And then if you look in Zechariah, please do it. Please, please, please check it out. Like when you, when you go home, open up Zechariah, read the whole chapter of Zechariah 8. Like, and it's crazy because like Zechariah's prophetic uh, 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 vision is that of the end times and whatnot. And how like, you know, that the Jew and Gentiles will actually come together. The Gentiles will flock to, 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 uh, to Jerusalem to find instruction from the Lord. And so this whole idea of speaking the truth to your neighbor is what Paul is seeing and like this is exactly what the Lord is doing and it started then and it's continuing now and, and whatnot, you know. Um, and so the whole idea of being angry, he says, be angry and do not sin. This, this, this also go, go, goes into uh, uh, Psalm 4. Uh, Psalm 4 is, is actually directly quoted from Psalm 4, be angry and do not sin, you know. Uh, exact, and so what's cool is that like earlier, David is like, you know, you got all these people who are against me. They're speaking falsehood. So, like, like, like Paul kind of has this in his mind. Like, they're speaking falsehood and stuff, you know. So, so uh, don't be angry about what they're speaking and stuff. Be angry. Be angry, but don't sin. Because the idea is this is like, you know, when you're really, really angry, there is a propensity to sin. Now, I'm telling you the truth because I know this from firsthand. I dealt with six to seven, eight, nine kids and stuff, you know. And there was sometimes where, like, if a kid didn't do what I said to do, oh, snap. It was like I turned into, like, a... Uh, can I you from Street Fighter 2? I'm like, oh, snap, you better do it. So, so like, the thing is this is that, like, I, the Lord was helping me with my anger. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know? And so, so that, that, that's what's happening here. Um, and so uh, he says, don't steal. And this is where we get the whole idea of calypto, uh, 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 a klepto and stuff, you know, a person that steals. And this, this, this is, like, like, secret stealing, not, not, not just big kind, big kind of stealing, but secret stealing. Like, oh, snap, I'm going to take the pen from work. I hope nobody saw that. And everything. I'm going to take the last whatever. I hope nobody saw that and stuff, you know. Um, and so he also goes into the fact he says uh, he doesn't want us to use unedifying, abusive speech with each other. Um, uh, but what's really cool with, with, with all this, again, like I said, is that like you have this whole negative, positive, emotive thing here and stuff, you know. The motive is this. So like, again, you look, let the thief no longer steal. So negative, positive, but rather let him labor, let him get a job, let him work, you know what I'm saying? And so the motive uh, uh, is that, like, so that we may have something to share with each other and, and all that, you know. And so my last thing here is the, the whole idea of grieving the Holy Spirit. This is very, very important because, like, grieving the Holy Spirit sometimes can be misunderstood. And within the context here, it is talking about how we relate to one another. You know what I'm saying? So, like, therefore, like, don't, don't, don't speak lies, you know, don't spread false doctrine, you know, um, don't steal from, don't steal. But get a job, help out, you know, because we're members of each other. You know what I'm saying? So, like, when we, when, we, when we don't do those things, we are grieving the Holy Spirit, you know. It doesn't mean that we lose our salvation, but it means that the Holy Spirit is grieved, you know. Uh, uh, um, and so that, that, that's, that's, very, that's very important um, here. And so uh, the last two things. So what clothes do we need to get rid of? And we can see it right uh, here in verse 31. It says, put away all bitterness, rage, and anger, you know, put, put all them things away, um, and think about, uh, Matthew 15, and he's like, these things come from the heart, this, this is a heart issue, I mean, me and my wife just went through, uh, years and years of clothes that we just threw away, you know what I'm saying, like, we just got rid of them joints, because it was like, yo, like, we have nowhere to put them, and so, like, they're old clothes, so Paul is saying to, to the Ephesians and to us, get rid of those clothes, you know, so, those are the, so, 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 uh, so we need to, uh, Get rid of those clothes, and we need to put them away. And so what do we need to do instead of that? Verse 32 says, but be kind and compassionate to one another, you know, um, forgiving each other just as Christ and God forgave you, you know. 
the cross is the center of this. You know what I'm saying? That like, you know, you're, you're, the way you are with one another, always look to what Jesus did on your behalf. So again, this is the whole indicative imperative thing. So what Jesus did, he forgave you through the cross. And so therefore, you are to be this way towards each other. And this is how you live this new life. So, um, so the father didn't call us to stay as children, you all. He didn't call us to stay as children. He called us to man up. He called us to woman up and stuff, you know. He called us to mature and everything, you know. And how we mature is by the power of the spirit in our lives. He enables us to put off the old clothes and put on the new clothes. The only way we can do this is through the finished work of his son. You know a person is mature if they can put their own clothes away. You know what I'm saying? You got to tell them to put their clothes away. You know a person is mature when they can put their own stuff away and take it off and put new stuff on, when they can wash their own stuff, you know. Um, so there's four things I just want to leave with, with, with this. You know, in light of the fact that, like, you know, you hear a lot about Lent, this and that, you know, I think that, that, that this is really cool. We should fast from, uh, uh, in, in order for us to grow in these virtues, in order for us to grow, you know, uh, and as a church, I, like, I really want to challenge us with, with, with these, you know. Uh, we should fast from whatever we spend the most time doing, you know. Um, we should fast from, from what most time doing. If it's your phone, I would say, like, you know, try leaving your phone home for a day, you know, try, try leaving it home for a day, you know. I know it's going to be hard for, for, for some, and I know some ha like, have to use it for work, but try leaving it home for a day, you know. Um, uh, uh, or stay off of social media, like, for a month or for a year, you know. <laughs> Just try it. <laughs> I mean, I, and, and I know some, some, some people need to use social media for work and all that, but try it, you know. Um, f fast from whatever. And we should pray, you know what I'm saying? Like, like during this time of fasting, we should pray, you know. Uh, we should read his word daily as if our lives depend on it. By read, I mean chunks of text, you know what I'm saying? Like read it, eat it up, like whole books of the Bible, you know what I'm saying? You know, systematically, unit, unit by unit, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, read it, get into it. Every single day, eat it up, you know. Um, and even when you get tired, fall asleep with the word and wake up and do it again, you know what I'm saying? Start from Genesis, work your way through, go to Revelation, start, and, 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 and you can do it however you want to do it. Five chapters a day, ten chapters, three, two, do it however you want to do it, you know. Get to know him. He wants you to know him that way, you know what I'm saying? You know, um, and then listen to some good, centered, Christ-centered, theologically and biblically sound music, you know what I'm saying? You know, there's some real, sometimes bad Christian music out there, you know. And by bad, I mean it's not theologically sound. It's not biblically sound, you know. It, it makes you question, like, yo, is this from the Bible or is this from the culture? You know, so, and I'm, and this is what I mean by this. I mean by, like, hymns, CCM, Christian hip-hop, classical, whatever it is. Listen to it so you get his word inside of you and stuff. You know what I'm saying? You know, um, and listen to things that will make you weep, you know, and make you repent from your sin, you know, um, and, and make you want to know him more and know his word and that will make you want to be with him and spend all your time with him. So therefore, you are actually doing these virtues. You actually are taking these clothes off and stuff, you know. And, you, and, and, and these characteristics are actually becoming your characteristics. You know, there's going to be a day when he comes back, you know. And when he, when he comes back, in First John it says, we don't know what we'll be, but we'll be just like him. And he wants us to be just like him in true righteousness and holiness.